Hi, everybody. Tony Marcolini and my co-host Seamus McDonough are here today on It May Interest You to Know. And we have a special guest with us, comedian Anthony Crescenzo. Welcome, Anthony. Hey, guys. How are you, Tony? <laughs> hey, Anthony. <laughs> hey, Seamus. <laughs> How are things? Very <laughs> things okay. <laughs> Grand. Well, you're a, a you're in that unique breed uh, of stand-up comedian out there who I truly admire because it's not easy to just tr to have your career be based on having to travel to different cities, different towns, uh, and to never know where you're going to be. Like, I mean, I'm an attorney. For the most part, I go to the same courthouses. I see the same judges. Uh, I go to the same office, right? And, and like that's how the rest of the world operates. And I can't imagine being in a place where your your workplace is different every few days. I mean, I, I would rather be in your position. That way you know how much a cup of coffee costs every single morning. <laughs> how, what does that feel like to not to not have to look go? Oh, okay, wait, can I afford this? Yeah, I can, I'm fine. <laughs> or to be able to, like, make coffee at home every day, that must be terrific. <sighs> tea, I brew myself a cup of tea, but yeah, I get the point. Mm -hmm. Now, will you remember the very first time you stepped on stage, like, and all the, all the eyes were on you, and it was your job to entertain that audience? Do you remember that? Let's see, are you... I'm not 100% sure which, which one was my first real show, but I do remember my first open mic. Uh, and that was terrible. Mm -hmm. And no one told me how bad it was. Like, even afterwards, nobody told me, and I figured it out, like, two years later. So you mean the material was that bad, or just you were, you were just too nervous, or it was a bad experience? No, everything. It's like... Okay, so first of all, uh, I had entirely too much to drink because I was nervous. Um, <laughs> then I didn't understand what a light was. So uh, Seamus used to be a boxer. So you might understand, like, if you don't know what the bell ringing means mm. and you just keep and you just keep fighting and, and the other guy's like, are you going to stop at some point? Because <laughs> I'm supposed to take a break here. Yeah, um, It was kind of the same thing. So I was supposed to be on stage for five minutes and I wound up being on stage for somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes. They, wow. yeah, I, I didn't understand like how to get off stage. I didn't understand how to go on stage. I, no one had trained me at all. So it was just, um, it was terrible. I, <laughs> I thought I was funny, but I, I had written down five minutes and those five minutes were filthy. Um, yeah, no one told <laughs> me like anything about what I was supposed to do going in. All I was told was prepare five minutes. And I went, okay. And at the time, I was listening to Dane Cook a lot. So a lot of my oh. material was Dane Cook-esque. Yeah. Um, but, like, Dane Cook, Dirty. if he had never been trained and was not an actor at all. So it was just a lot of cursing and genitalia material and just absolutely filthy the whole way through. The worst part was that I didn't understand that they were trying to tell me to come off stage. Um, one, because I didn't know what the light was, and two, because I had been drinking. And people were laughing incrementally, so it wasn't like I just thought I was bombing and that was the end of it. I was under the impression it was going pretty well. 
And then a while later, I was like, you know what? That was like the worst thing I've ever done in my life. And I didn't know it while it was happening. So and was- I, if ever I'm advising like fighters and big fights come out, I, have, I, have, I know all the guys. This is a very small community, the boxing world. And I, I, when, I, when I fought Holyfield, uh, I wish someone had told me before the bell went, you're going to have the biggest shock of your life. I tell all, all anyone that I, that I try to help, I, I tell them about uh, when the, as soon as the bell goes, you're going to have the biggest fright, shock, scare of your life. And that way it kind of prepares them for, for, for what's going to happen. We lost either your computer or your cell phone is drunk. One of the two, <laughs> both of us. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Just make sure it's not driving because I don't know okay. where you are, but you might get a you know, GWI. <laughs> you can turn the volume down at the same time, huh? There we go. Oh, am I that loud? Sorry, <laughs> no, it's like it's okay. So, talk to us about creating material for your stand up. What does that process look like for you? Um, well, a lot of it is just, um, I, okay. So I don't write most of what I do. Like I, I write it like in my head, but I don't write the words down all that much. It's mostly just blocks. Like I'll write a few words and that'll remind me of a story. Now that story I've told to like 50 other people beforehand. And it's like, okay, this, this is still working. It's not just something that I thought was funny. And, you know, you mm-hmm. say it to a few people and then you figure out whether it's going to work or not. And, you know, thankfully, I have a few open mics of my own, so I'm able to try things out. But the bigger thing is just, I I have a tendency of, like, going into doing a lot of crowd work. So what winds up happening with that is I will ask a question to the audience in general. And as soon as somebody perks up their head, now I know, okay, this joke will pertain to this person or these people. And then I'm able to go back and thinking about, okay, I wrote this down and now this is going to be relatable to these people. And then I'll keep going with that. Um, but most of my material is based on either my life, my friends' lives, or this is going to sound terrible, but things that I've been made fun of. That is a massive chunk of what I do. It's just taking everything I've been bullied from and going, all right, I hate that this happened. And then I'll write down what I thought was funny about the bullying. And then it's like, okay, this works. And then I put it in and everybody thinks it's funny, but what they don't realize is what I wrote down was me having to essentially give myself um, not a psychology lesson, but like I was I was writing down like as though I was my own shrink. Mm. But I get lucky and people think it's funny, so it works out. So observational, is that safe to say? Your most your comedy is mostly observational. I would say so, yeah. But it's um, uh, introspective, I guess. Like it's not, it's not always based on um, other people. Like I try not to because I feel like I'm going to be insulting uh, my family members by talking about them that way or insulting my friends by talking about them in that way. Even though I, most of the time it's total strangers that I'm in front of, but it's still like, I feel like I'm doing that. So I try not to uh, be specific about like, this one's about my mom, this one's about my this, this one's about my that. And if I am, then I still try to make them sound like the hero instead of me. 
Well, that makes you unique, <laughs> unique for sure. Because most of the comedians will tell you stories about their wife or their father or their, you know, will, will, I don't know if they're making them up or they're truly they're telling us the actual, an actual story, but uh, you hear a lot of negativity, I think, with stand-up comedians. So that makes you unique. Well, yeah, I've noticed that a lot. And don't get me wrong. I'm guilty of it too. But uh, when I do it, I just try, like, I will recognize that I'm doing it or I'll recognize it while I'm um, editing the piece that I'm working on and go, okay, you know what? That sounds like it's a little bit more of a dig than it needs to be. And then I'll try to lighten it up a little bit more because unless people are there just to, like, get drunk and listen to someone, like, verbally bash people around them, most of the time, like when you're doing uh, churches and things of that nature, they want it to be almost uplifting. They don't want to hear somebody just degrade their entire family and degrade their wife and degrade all of their friends and degrade whatever else it is or be completely self-deprecating, which is an entire industry all in and of itself. <laughs> totally. Well, where, where, are you, where are you from, Anthony? Uh, I live in New Jersey. I've lived here just about my entire life. Hmm. And do you have any mentor, mentors? Oh, okay. <laughs> Almost every teacher I've had has been not the best teacher for what I do. Um, I've had a couple, like I've had a couple acting coaches that have been pretty good. I've had um, most of my, most of my mentors wind up being, they're, they're already comedians that I saw and I enjoyed what they were doing. So those are the ones that have actually done pretty well by me in that they explain that like certain things need to be done. Like here's the biggest one. Um, I can't remember his name. Oh, Dustin Chafin out of New York. Actually, he's out of Texas, but um, now he works a lot in New York. I was actually supposed to meet him last week. I was supposed to go to World Series of Comedy and I found out he was there, but he didn't tell me that. So I was very excited to see him again because it's been like a year and a half since I've seen him. So um one of the things that he was uh, telling me while he was teaching me was you sincerely need to write down what you're going to say <laughs> because you, you still have time to get in on Conan and let like Letterman, not Letterman itself, but like those kind of the, uh, the late night shows. And I was like, okay, great. He goes, but you have to actually write down what you're going to do. And I was like, okay. And I wrote down everything. And then as usual, and, and Tony, you've seen this with me uh, when it comes to acting, I can never go word for word. Um, I will always just kind of make it up a little bit, at least on the fly, <laughs> and just do whatever I'm feeling in that moment. And he said exactly what I've always heard about me, which is um, I'm never going to stick to my lines, which is always going to be a little difficult to put that onto television. But when I'm in the room with the other audience members, I make it an experience, like a personal experience. Mm -hmm. So you're still like, I might not do the whole thing in crowd work. I might do it as material, but the material is still going to cater to more of an in the moment. Like you and I are both feeling the same thing, which is great when you're in the room with somebody. But when you're trying to put that into a little box that you're watching on your phone mm -hmm. or a TV screen or whatever, it's, it, it does not translate properly mm. I, I want I, this was fascinating to me i i, I did some read i was an english literature major with tony at saint john's university in staten island i was living in brooklyn at the time 
and I done some reading and I and uh, I got interested in comedy when I read that according to Henry David Thoreau and Ralph Waldo Emerson, two great uh, transcendentalist writers from back in the 17th century, they had a top 10 list like Dave Letterman. And number one on both the lists was, I ask people this all the time, what's the number, number one measure of success in life? And the number one measure of success in life, according to these two guys, is to laugh often. That's not got interested in comedy. <laughs> That's, uh, uh, yeah, well, well, even if you're not like financially successful, you will feel good and that's what success is really supposed to be it's supposed to be just okay i made it through the day but i didn't just survive the day i enjoyed the day yes yes, yes. or else mm. what's the point of exactly i i tell people if you don't laugh you don't pay yeah <laughs> <laughs> well that's good that i can't and if i ever did if i ever did that i would have to probably pay people back every once in a while. <laughs> like, I'm sorry I didn't make you laugh. Here's your $20 back. Sorry. Like, wait a minute. Why are you paying me back in Monopoly money? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, the lights have to be paid for. Um, and I got to pay the other guys, too. Also, I spent the money that you gave me. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, you're into acting, too. I mean, you'd, you do... You'd, certainly have done your share of stand-up comedy uh, mostly i think through that the new york new jersey area the east coast i'll say the east coast you've done a lot uh, a lot of different comedy I mean, you probably hit all of them on the east coast um but you started getting into acting for a little bit are you still doing that occasionally um like it, honestly i almost exclusively work through my friends um and the main reason is they know what i do so it it's it's going to sound weird, but it's easier to work through your friends because then you know you're not auditioning for something. They wrote something and they called you up and, oh, you would fit this really good. And then it's like, okay, no problem. Or they tell you like, hey, um, do you want to try something? Because I feel like this could work. Like you have a good look for this, but that's not necessarily a personality. And I'm like, okay, let's try it out. Let's see how it works. And then I just openly say, hey, look, if it doesn't work, I don't mind getting fired. It wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> like, okay, well, we have more than enough time. Let's go for it. And after three days, like, all right, bro, I'm going to have to fire you. And I'm like, okay, no problem. And like, I don't really want to fire you. I just want to move you to this role instead because we've already spent three days and it's not working out in that direction. But this one, you might actually be super successful. And then they're like, this is perfect. And I'm like, okay, good. Well, I remember a project with you. Matter of fact, your your cohort in crime, uh, you know, Rob Eppel was on uh, last week. Um, you two played brothers in a project that I wrote. And uh, I remember you being in one scene. Do you remember the crying scene where you lived? Uh, yeah, the one that was uh, the, I guess, the opening page for the website for the entire network. Yeah, I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> a, a little embarrassing when I went to go look it up, but I was like, Wow, okay. Uh, that means she has a lot of faith in my ability, but wow, it's really hard to explain that to other guys. <laughs> you, like, so you, you did such like, a beautiful the job, though. I mean, just built themselves on you crying, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there are two things, Seamus. There are two things that I remember best about the time that the project I did with, with Anthony and Rob in terms of Anthony. Uh, the first is he brought me to tears 
with a scene where he was crying because he was so genuine and raw in the scene. It was amazing to be there. You could have heard a pin drop. I mean, there wasn't a girl there on the set that wasn't like, <laughs> that didn't cry along with Anthony's scene. But two, that he was so genuine as a person that there came a point where he had to kiss the actress in the scene and he was he was involved with somebody. Uh, yes, I am. He's right, right now. He's putting his head down like, don't tell that story. No, I don't <laughs> mind. Go for it. It's embarrassing, but I love it. <laughs> so he has to kiss the other actress in the scene. And because he was involved with somebody, he, he was so genuine, like that he had this is true like guilt to it. Like I, he just felt guilty about doing the scene where he was kissing somebody else. And it brought a lot of awkwardness to it. So we had to redo the scene. I, I lost count of the amount of times because I had to, we had to keep stopping. Like that is the worst kiss I've ever seen. Like ever, like what is happening? You've kissed somebody before, right? Like, it was terrible. Was, then, was he kiss, kissing Alicia Minshew? No. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been even worse. <laughs> no, he was kissing another I think, she, I think she would have herself just gone, uh, you know what, just somebody else. Not you. <laughs> but like, I know a lot of really good actors that, or even bad actors that know how to kiss well. You're not the guy. Yeah, you know, he wasn't, he just could not kiss on screen. I mean, I guess it was going over in his head that, you know, he shouldn't be doing this. I don't know what was holding him back exactly, but he just was a horrible on screen kisser. He was like in his own head way too much to be able to, uh, to get that done. And I just remember having to keep refilming the scene because it was so terrible. And then I went to see him do his stand up after the, it was filmed and he wrote it in to the, he's like, I, I literally, the director came over to me and said, that is the worst kissing I've ever seen. <laughs> like you've kissed somebody before, right? And he literally put that in his, his stand-up. No, that was that, yeah. I, actually, Kelly is also the reason I was able to cry like that. She was great. What a good actress. And Kelly uh, was the one who taught me how to cry on camera. And like she taught you within well. within hours of that scene, I watched her uh, go from. You know, no problems, whatever, professional, happy-go-lucky, whatever, you know, we're just talking and where she's doing whatever it was, maybe playing with the cat, I don't even remember. Um, and then she would she would go into a room, listen to something, uh, listen to some music, one of her friend's bands or something, and then come out and just totally gone and full meltdown. And I was like, okay. And I was like, all right, I guess that's what I'm going to do. And then I asked her and she said, Yes, that's exactly what you should do. <laughs> and then I went to go listen to Ed Sheeran, and I don't even remember what song it was. And I was thinking about my dad who had died and, like, all the things that uh, should have gone a little bit differently. Not that we ever had a bad relationship, just things that I had wished that I had uh, done differently with that time that I had with him and completely broke down. Sure. And you finished that scene. You said, I hope I don't have to redo. I hope you got that. I hope I don't have to do another take. <sighs> I remember that. Yeah. I thought it was, I, 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 I had never done it before. Also, I had never kissed anybody on camera before. Um, yeah. So those were two complete firsts for me. And it was, um, it was, it was hard. Like it was very difficult, and I was I was happy that you guys were happy with that. 
I had no issues the fact that you hated the kiss either. I was like, okay, well, you know what? I'm just a bad kisser. That's all it is. <laughs> I'm like, hopefully someday somebody will just turn to me and go, you know what? Your kissing is okay for me. And I'd be like, okay, guess we'll get married. <laughs> okay, so I understand and that you have opened up your own comedy club. Is my am I right? Yeah. Is it, am I telling um, a secret? Am I telling a secret? Maybe I should no. have done this. Okay. No, it's fine. Uh, no, it's actually helpful. Um, all right. So I opened up the Devil's Den Comedy Club in Newark, which is more of a showcase club. Like um, I used to work for uh, Sky's Comedy Cove and I was managing over there and um, an opportunity presented itself. And I realized that I like doing showcases more than I like doing three-man shows where it's um, an MC, a middle, and a headliner. And the headliner is going to do like 45 minutes. Most of the people I know don't really have the attention span to listen to anybody for 45 minutes. Um, like this is great because like the, the faces jump around and it'll actually capture attention. But if anybody was listening to me for 45 minutes straight, they would change the channel in five. Um, <laughs> and I'm very aware of it. I'm okay with it because I understand I also have that short attention span. So um, these guys are going up for... No one goes up for ever more than 30 minutes. Mm. Uh, if you're doing more than 30 minutes, I'm just giving you the show. It's like, go ahead, you do it. I'm not even going to show up today. But uh, yeah, it's me and a bunch of my friends, and we all wind up doing it together. It's in Newark, literally across the street from the Prudential Center. So it's ridiculously safe. It's ridiculously easy to get to. Um, we do charge you like... Do you perform there too? Oh, Yeah. Um, most of the time I have to be there just this way someone can turn the lights on and make sure that people actually get seated and um, if there's a problem with their drink order which I don't handle that really but I can you know kind of be the nice guy and advocate for them and be like hey can we actually get a waitress downstairs at some point today like is that going to be a thing that we could do and then they'll be like we're really short staffed I'm like yes yeah, so is the rest of America can we do it anyway uh, so I just do like little things like that and it helps out but it also gets me into uh, other locations that I want to be in so I have like uh, one of my friends is, um, one of my friends is a marine one of my friends is in the army another one um, is creating his own production company uh, another one is uh, he's a he's not a very well-known actor but well-known enough and, you know, we all work together. We take turns, like, helping each other out. Like, if one can't make it, the other one goes down and, like, handles all the responsibilities that a manager would for, for the evening. And we just decide, like, as we get there, who's going to actually do what on the show. Um, sometimes someone needs to do a specific thing. And it's like, okay, great, let's do that. Like, this person's going to do that. So the show constantly changes. We always bring in new people just because it's, it's, either, it's, it's more fun for us if there's new people there, because now we have somebody new to listen to and new to like, just watch what they do for a little bit. Um, and then like, you know, we're, we're in a college area. So there's always college kids around. We're right by Jersey city, like the path comes in from Jersey city. So we get New Yorkers in Jersey city and people coming in uh, with Newark airport. So it's, we could literally do the same thing every single night and probably nobody would know it, but we don't have to, we can, get away with doing whatever we want. We, can, I literally was uh, reading uh, the history of the improv and that's kind of what inspired me to do it in the first place was just the idea that 
we could find a, a way for everyone to just do whatever they wanted to do and have fun and learn themselves how to do these things. And then everybody's always bringing in like uh, directors and coaches and stuff like that. So it's, they get to show to those people or their friends what they wanted to show them that they knew if they tried to pull that anywhere else, they would be fired immediately because like, Hey, don't just be trying new stuff in my club on Saturday nights. That's ridiculous. Where I'm just like, dude, go ahead. I don't care if you bomb. And they're always like, wait, really? You don't care? I'm like, look, if I'm emceeing and you bomb, I will go up and save the show. If, if, if somebody else bombs, certainly, you know, somebody else will save the show. That's why we're all here because at least somebody can just go, hey, look, just so you know, I'm going to try something brand new and it might completely bomb. And then everybody else goes, dude, go for it. If it bombs, I'll save you. If it doesn't bomb and it does well, I will immediately get the next guy on stage. <laughs> We're not worried about anybody messing up. This is yeah. for our own fun. This is this way people could just see other guys developing. And yeah, in the open mics, we kind of do the same thing, but mm. it's not the same because the open mics are literally just comics performing for comics where this is like, Hey, we're going to put in a few guys and we get a bunch of audience members and, you know, we just, we have fun with it. It sounds like a, sounds like a, a lot of fun. Like sounds like a club, like a, like a, like a club. And it sounds like so much fun. I'm so glad you mentioned the name again. Cause I, this is, this is hilarious to me. I thought you said the name of the club was the devil's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure my mother would love to hear that, that was the name of the club now. Uh, <laughs> That was actually an issue that we had, by the way, um, very recently. My mother's very involved with the church, uh, so she's doing a tricky tray. Um, I think it's next week or the following week. And I had, at other places I had been at, I had always been able to, um, like, get a few tickets and be like, hey, I'll give you for the tricky tray. And I was, I was about to turn to her and say, hey, do you want some tickets for your tricky tray? And then I realized... The Tricky Tray is for a church. The name of the club is the Devil's Den Comedy Club. I don't <laughs> think that that's an appropriate venue for that exact thing, which is so strange because I just started writing for a magazine, and the magazine is run by um, the head of one of the Knights of Columbus, like a local one for me. So they put in the magazine that, um, that I own the Devil's Den Comedy Club, and I'm just like, Oh my god! And then I'm like reading the rest of the magazine because I I, I don't own a, a copy because they haven't released it yet. But I saw the uh, the promo copy and it, I was like surprised. First of all, that it was a half page. I I thought that my article was going to be like I, I thought they were going to shrink it down to like a hundred words, and that was going to be the end of it. And I was like, oh wow, um, this is like kind of big and in full color, and I can actually see my face and I can read the words and. This isn't in one point font. This is amazing. Uh, but then I what magazine? I'm nervous because I realized I'm like, oh my god, he's involved with the church. This says Devil's Den. I hope that nothing goes wrong. And he goes, man, is not involved with the church. This is just for us. I'm like, okay. Well, what magazine? Um, it's going to be released in a few weeks, and it's called Fairfield Friends and Family. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I have to be a more family-friendly act now. So <laughs> I've seen your act. That wouldn't couldn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it's pretty filthy. <laughs> I'm really, really, really trying to back away from that. I think, I think marriage <laughs> might have uh, tailored me a little bit towards going in that direction. Your wife has had a positive impact. That's good. How is married life? It's nice. Um, like really nice. We got married in the middle of pandemic. So all of our chaos has already kind of gone through. Um, we, it was the, the hardest thing in the world was just to get married. We, we put everything together. We were like, okay, we're going to do this. And then the pandemic hit, which was the same thing as the comedy club. We started it and then we were in and everything was going really good. We had like packed rooms and also the pandemic hit. We had to stop that. Um, but with uh, with the marriage, it was it was really ridiculous because we didn't even know if we could get married, and we refused to change the date because you know I'm cheap and you know you have to pay a down payment and then you don't get your down payment back. So I was like, I'm not changing the date. Somebody's going to court. Somebody's going <laughs> to. And then they were like, Okay, yeah, you could do it. I'm like, All right, let's do it then. And then we were supposed to be outside, and we went up inside. Everything has been chaos the whole way through to get to the marriage. This is how bad it was. Um, we could not make a real plan for our honeymoon. Like, there just was nothing we could do because it was in October. So it was like that little time period where they were like, yeah, go ahead, do whatever you want. And then two weeks later, like, oh, we messed it up. Don't do whatever you want. Put your mask back on. You got to be on a ventilator. Just start breathing like bing. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. So we couldn't do anything, and we we're like, "All right, what are we gonna do?" We woke up the next morning, and we still didn't have a course of action. And she was like, "Well, I want to go on a honeymoon." I was like, "So do I." And I went, "Wait a minute, I know a place we can go." Um, Don't tell me your club. <laughs> I wound up going. I know. I know this nice little place. I've been there once before for a concert. She goes, "Where?" And I go, "Governor's Island." She goes, "That sounds nice. Where is it?" I go. It's off in Manhattan. It's a three dollar ferry ride. <laughs> Are you serious? I was like, yeah. She's like, all right, whatever. Let's go. Perfect. So, yeah, we went to Governor's Island. The most expensive part was driving into Manhattan because the toll was. <laughs> so we get there. It's a Sunday. The parking spree was great. We get down there. We park the car. Um, we we got right on the. We we go on the boat. It's a ferry ride. It's three dollars each. So it's six dollars plus the twelve dollars toll. So it's like eighteen dollars. And then we get there, and they have like these bicycles. And I was like, "Oh, those are too expensive." And she's like, "Stop being cheap." Like, Fine. So and it's like the tandem bicycle. So it's like we're sitting next to each other. And uh, then they had beer there, so we got beer. And I was like, "Okay, we'll do this." And you can't get a DWI on a bicycle, apparently. So that was really good. Uh, <laughs> So we go around the entire island, and then we, we were trying to get food, but we were late, so every place was pretty much closed except for this one place, and as soon as we ordered the food, they were like, hey, I'm sorry to do this to you. Um, when you get your food, you got like 15 minutes to eat it because we're going to call it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. That just sounds like everything that happens in my life. The minute you get there, it's closed. So we go, we get the food, um, and we're eating, and we're and at a certain point, we had to eat and walk to the boat because they were going to leave us there on the island, like, overnight. We couldn't do anything, so we go back, and um, we're, like, eating, get on the boat, and she's like, that was really nice, and I was like, okay, great. So um, the third is, uh, is going to be my anniversary, and so we decided that that's where we're going to go again, and my exact words to her is, oh, that's great. This is going to be so much less expensive than Aruba. 
Wow. Wow. Or, or as we say in Ireland, it was perfect, but it has to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's great because we, like, even if we missed our anniversary, it's like, all right, let's go the next day. And now Governor's Island is going to be open all year round. I just heard de Blasio say that, like, when I was listening to 1010 Wins in the Car, and I was like, great. So even if we can't go on our anniversary, we go the next day or the next day or the next day or the next day. At some point, we'll get there. And oh, we'll really yeah. make a difference. Well, nothing says newlyweds like a, a a quarantine, right? You get married and you're in quarantine for a year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so well, actually, when she, she got COVID, she was quarantined by herself because we weren't married yet. And then I got COVID um, and she had to take care of me. And she goes, where were you when I had COVID? And I go, I was in single. another town. I was single <laughs> when you got COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so... So I mean, what was that like, though? I mean, you really couldn't go out in the beginning, right? I mean, you, the, other than going to, that was the big thing. We went to the grocery store. I remember, oh. you know, like that was the huge outing. You know, you went to the supermarket and you got, you know, dressed up for that event because it was the only thing you were going to be doing that week. Um, so what was that like when you were first married? You know, you, you're brand new newlyweds and you're just home all the time. Were you getting on each other's nerves or? No, not at all. Um... Let's see, when we first got married, we would, um, we just, honestly, we still do this. I mean, we're, we're in our first year, so we're going to be on a honeymoon for a long time. Um, <laughs> we just go for walks. I mean, it's that simple. Just go for a walk. Like, just do two miles on a walk. Walk to church and walk back. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Like, I mean, you, you go out and you, um, like, we, st we still go out. Like, we'll still, like, go to dinner together. Or that, that actually, I was doing DoorDash just for fun. And um, so we would just go and do DoorDash together just because it was like there was nothing else to do. And it would be the two of us sitting in the car just driving around. And because then it was like a live action video game. It was like playing Grand Theft Auto, but you actually own the car. It was really it was just fun. I and totally like, agree. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's like playing a video game with these with these little uh, yeah, GPSs. Oh, yeah. It was the whole time. Like, all right. So the, the, the phone's like <laughs> over here. And you're and you're driving, and then you have to tell her like, "Oh, I can't see." And could you open up the maps this way? I know exactly where we're going because I don't want to go here, but I do want to go here, and I want to go here later on, and I want to make sure that we do it for this amount. As she goes, "We're not broke. We could do something like we can go to the, uh, get this little garbage thing over here. It's not that big of a deal." I'm like, "Yeah, but I don't want to do it." She's like, "Why?" But I'm like, "Because I want this." And then she's like, okay, whatever. And we wanted, there was, there was some that were like really bad. Like we would go just for fun to go to some places. It was like, I've never been there before. And we knew we would only get like $2, which was actually less money than it would cost us to just go there in the first place. <laughs> so we would sometimes do deliveries where we were losing money because it was just fun. Um, <laughs> there were other deliveries, and this was ridiculous. Um, I was doing one delivery really late. And I could, I could care less about, you know, what was going to happen because I think we were trying to make a, a certain number um, just to, I don't know, we were trying to satisfy some kind of ego thing. And it was at Wendy's and I went and got a guy, a chicken sandwich, like off the dollar meal. And I bring it to his house. She's in the car. She's unconscious. Um, so I'm driving and it was like a really nice area. So I didn't even bother to wake her up. And I go to the guy's house and he's got like no lights on, but I saw like that there was a person there and I go and, you know, I hand him his food. He goes, thanks so much. And he's whispering it to me. And I was like, 
oh, he probably has like a kid at the house or something like that, like a brand new baby or something, because that's happened before. And he goes, hey, um, here. And I go, okay. So I just open my hand. He puts a bill in there. I figured it was like a dollar or whatever. I didn't look. He had tipped me in the application, but there was a $50 bill in my hand. Wow. Immediately text him. And I'm like, that was so generous. You really didn't have to do that. I appreciate it. He goes, thank you for not calling me. (laughs) What? He goes, I got a sleeping baby. Every time these DoorDash guys come by, they call me. I can't find you this, that, the other thing. And I'm like, oh, I feel so bad. And he goes, why? I'm like, because I was just on my way home. That's the only reason I did this one. (laughs) And he goes, you were bored? I go, yeah. I go, do you want me to bring you the money back? Now that you know <laughs> there's a bored chicken sandwich, huh? Yeah. It was really hard to eat. It was like, <laughs> like that. Well, I, I hope, I would like to mention one thing before we let you go. Um, I think to your credit, and most people don't know about you, you actually uh, have a disability. I mean, you yeah. have a hearing disability, hearing loss. Uh, And I think it's to your credit and that's why it's worth mentioning because you're an example to people that you've overcome your disability and you're able to do this kind of a career um, with, with a hearing problem. Could you speak to that? Um, Well, yeah, I'm deaf, not mute. So yeah, no problem. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I can't hear in one of my ears and I actually said this when uh, when I had COVID that it was the third worst thing that I have ever gone through. Um, it was meningitis, which was how I lost my hearing in the first place. Um, then the first time I ever had the flu because I didn't know what it was, and then COVID. But um, like COVID took out my my taste and my smell, so I'm still dealing with that. But how bad least- were you? Uh, How bad was for, about, for, about, for about three or four days, it was really bad. Um, like even sleeping, I could only sleep 45 minutes in a clip. Yeah. Um, it was just horrible. But, you know, I, at least I didn't get anybody else sick because it was, we had reopened the club at that time and I felt sick. So I said I wasn't going to go. And then the next morning I woke up and I was like, this is really bad. So we went and got tested and that's what it was. So I wound up taking two weeks off. And one of those weeks, I already had a vacation. I was supposed to go to Vegas. And I couldn't go because I, I called up the booker and I'm like, hey, I can't make it. He's like, why am I? Because I have COVID. I can't even get on the flight right now. I'm in quarantine. He's like, okay, no problem. We'll see you soon. I'm like, okay, no problem. But um, with being deaf, honestly, there's I found a lot of fun with being deaf. Um, well, first, the only thing that stinks is when I'm driving because of where I would sit. Like, I can't hear in my right ear. And when you're driving, that means you can't hear the passenger. So that kind of creates arguments with me and my wife a lot. But all the all the arguments are usually we just can't hear each other. Um, she's soft-spoken and I can't hear, so it's a problem. Other than that, everything else is fine. Um, but sleeping is so much better. <laughs> you have, no, I, I sleep like a baby every night. <laughs> like everybody else is like, I can't sleep. I'm tossing and turning and tossing and turning. And I'm like, as soon as I hit the pillow, the world goes mute. I'm fine. <laughs> I have, I've, I've been told like a billion times, like, why don't you go get your hearing fixed? And I'm like, you ever get a good, you ever get like a great night's sleep? I don't even <laughs> mind it if we have a baby. I'm like, I will sleep through the night. Just don't push me over to my good. If you push, if you roll my head over, I will immediately wake up. But that's about it. Everybody's like, oh, go get a vibrating bed. It'll help you wake up. And I'm like, no, I'll just get eight hours of sleep. 
and I'll be fine. I'll wake up. Um, but yeah, I've, I've never had major issues with being deaf. Everybody else around me has issues with me being deaf. Um, but even with audiences, like it makes it fun because I totally misunderstand what they say all the time. Like, they'll be like, uh, there was one guy who said, um, there was like probably 10 years ago, guy goes, I don't remember how this came up, but he goes, I'm a Republican. And I was like, you don't look like a pumpkin. <laughs> and I didn't realize he actually said I'm a Republican. And I just kept like asking him questions about why he thought he was a pumpkin. <laughs> and he didn't correct himself, but like he kept saying it, but it was like, he didn't enunciate it into a way that was like super obvious and then after a few minutes somebody just yelled out he said he's a republican not a pumpkin why do you keep asking him about squash in october and what is wrong with you and i'm like oh and all my friends that were there like comics and non-comics they're dying laughing because they know that i really think i'm having a conversation with somebody who just informed me that they were a pumpkin <laughs> happens all the time like uh, like if, if i'm in a crowd and like people are just like heckling me i misunderstand the heckles and it makes it so much more fun for everybody else but in my head i'm having a oh meltdown while this is happening i'm like why is it why is it i don't understand and for them it's a lot of fun for me i'm having an anxiety attack but then after like everything gets settled and i find out what really happened i'm like yeah that's funny <laughs> just like what? Like you just had a full meltdown for half an hour. Watched you have a meltdown, and I'm like, yeah, but now I understand what the meltdown was about. I think it's funny. I'm like, I should write this down, and then I'm like happy because I like usually audio record or video record it, and then I can like write down pieces that will remind me, like, oh, okay, that's how we got there. All right, so I see that, and I'm like, oh, I should have said this, and then I'll write that one word down, and then it'll set me up for something else. And it's like, okay, this is great. I haven't been able to use it with acting at all though, but eh, that's all right. Well, it's to your credit, I mean, that you've accomplished as much as you have and overcome your disability. And I think you're a role model, uh, which is why I wanted to touch upon it. And I appreciate you talking about it publicly because I know um, that's never easy to give a little part of yourself up like that. So thank you. No, now, thank you. I wouldn't have thought about it. Now tell the audience, how can they find out information about where they can see you or your club? Or get tickets? Um, well, you can go to uh, anthonycrescenzo.com. Uh, you could go to devilsdencomedyclub.com uh, or go to the same thing uh, in reference to uh, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Don't go on Twitter, though, because I really don't post that much on Twitter. Um, I'm not smart enough to use Twitter because that requires reading. Um, and then uh, what's the other one? Oh, I occasionally put stuff on TikTok, but it's always weird. If you want to watch really weird stuff, go to my TikTok. I never post anything normal. The videos are always just like bad clips that are just put together. And the old, and the, I went viral with a video and it looked so dirty. And I'm looking at it going, this was, there was nothing crazy about this video. And then the comments, I was like, oh, but I couldn't delete the video because I already had 2 million hits. And I was like, whatever, I'm just going to leave it up there. Um, but I felt bad for the other person that was involved because they're like, I didn't do that. That's not what happened. I'm like, eh, no, no, no one cares. Um, so yeah, you can go to anthonycrescenzo.com or devilsdencomedyclub.com. Those are the easiest ways to find me because anywhere that I'm going to be around, I 
I barely, I, I post it, but I really don't put it in the calendars. I hope you uh, made money off the two million hits. Um, I did, but I didn't make a lot of money because I hadn't monetized it until I got to one million. Oh, okay. But I'm really never concerned about the money. The money's going to come in as long as just keep working, keep having fun, and yeah. money will come in. You don't have to worry that much about mm. it. And you also, can you give a plug to your podcast? Because you have a podcast as well. I, mean, <laughs> I think you do, right? Still? Yeah, I, st- um, I actually haven't. Re- I was going to start recording Why like last week again. But uh, yeah, Why, which is on uh, Spotify and, uh, and Anchor FM. And that one's a lot of fun. Uh, sometimes I just do five minutes where I'm like just driving and like just yelling about nothing. And then sometimes like <laughs> I have interviews with other people and then they actually make sense. Or I wait until they're drunk and then have the interview, which is so much more fun for me. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Like, I don't do drugs, but some of my friends do. So I wait until they do drugs and then I have their interviews with them. And they're like, do you even? I'm like, no, I can't. I haven't, I haven't never done anything. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm just a dumb guy. Like, there's no point in me ever doing anything. Which I'm sure they appreciate being captured in that way when there's. Oh, no, they love it. They listen to it and they're like, man, I wish you would have done this like two years ago. And I'm like, eh, no. You wouldn't have wanted me to do this two years ago. Well, I want to say, uh, I mean, you're definitely worth seeing. I mean, it's not G-rated by any means, but Anthony promises me that he's becoming more family-oriented. So <laughs> G-rating is in his future, or at least PG-13 is in his future, I hope. Uh, uh, yeah, it's going to have to. It's it, It's going to have to, at least for some shows regardless, because there's too many places that I've been getting booked at that are like, uh, is this family friendly? And I'm like, do you want it to be? Because it can be. And then they're like, yeah, we're going to need it to be. And I'm like, okay, no problem. And then everybody thinks I can't do it. And then they see it. They're like, you're clean. And how did you, we didn't know that you had clean in you. I'm like, yeah. Well, I mean, you did a movie, I think. And I don't know. And I've never seen the movie. I don't know what it's about. But I, I know its name, the name was Kinky Kong. Oh, God. <laughs> so. All right, so, so that Kong and, Pirate, and Pirate Dog are both dirty. I did, I, yeah. I have nothing to do with the casting on either of those. Um, but I forget which one of them. One of them was on uh, HBO. They were both on Cinemax. Um, and, yeah, they're dirty, but it's like, you know what? They were my first movies, and what my friends put me in them. And then here's the other thing. I've also done passion plays. So I've, pay, I've played uh, Punch's Pilot, like, probably five times. Yeah, so you're moving. You're moving towards family friendly. Uh, so I highly recommend uh, anything Anthony's involved with. He's just a decent person, and he's hilarious, as you see, saw for yourself here today. Um, I want to say thank you, Anthony, for coming on, and I hope you'll come back um, to promote things as you're doing them, uh, and also to talk more about your club, especially now that you were coming out of the pandemic, uh, and you're going to start, I'm sure, launching the careers even, that's what happened with Richie Minervini, right, I have to give Richie a shout out. Right, Richard Minervini had a comedy club in Long Island, and he launched the careers of like Rosie O'Donnell and Kevin James, and uh, I want to say Ray Romano. Like all the major uh, acts went through that, and he literally that was their first gig, and he launched the careers of all these. I think Adam Sandler. Uh, so you see them; he has a part usually in all of their movies as they do them. You can find Richie. 
Uh, and that was his role. He had this comedy club and he launched all these careers. So maybe you're going to be the new Richie Minervini. That's actually what I'm, that is something that I've already told all the guys that work for me, like that just come through. I'm like, look, I'm not looking to make money off of you. I don't really care about that. What I care about is you blowing up because if you blow up, it's going to wind up being good for me. Because if you wind up with a TV show or you wind up with a film or something like that, you're going to wind up turning around and going, you know, I like Anthony. Let me put him in something. And then yeah, let Anthony get my start, right? You're going to be, uh, you you may launch uh, some significant careers. Uh, so, so we give our yeah. shout out to Hi Richie, if you're watching Richie Minervini. Uh, Hi Richie. <laughs> Hi Richie. And we say thank you. We're going to close the show now and say thank you so much to Anthony for being a guest. You were funny and lovely as always. Uh, and please come back again. Thank you, Anthony. Let me know when. Have a great day, guys. Great to meet Bye. you. Great to meet you. If you do a boxing, please let me know about it. I will. Nah. <laughs> Don't hurt nobody. <laughs> Try not to. Famous last words. But say, say that to say that to me. What? I want you to tell him to, to not hurt anybody. You don't hurt anybody. Too late. I know. I saw the phone. <laughs> it's like all over the ground. 